0: 26th class, 26th chapter, Dhammapada. Um, And this is getting to, uh, it's called the Jaravaga, Jaravaga, which is a teaching uh, on the three marks of existence, on the the, the whole point, the whole point of insight of true Vipassana is onto the three marks of existence, Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. Anicca is the impermanence of all phenomena. Anatta is the not self-characteristic and ongoing Deluded thinking maintains that common human problem. The Buddha taught, I mentioned it earlier, that uh, in, anatta has all kinds of mystical connotations that are usually uh, greedily clung to <laughs> to many people, but it doesn't, it be, because it continues a misunderstanding of self. What the Buddha taught, using the word anatta, is that your views of self are wrong views. Let go of the views, not to try to establish some mystical self as a denial of a human self. The, the way the Buddha described our um, view of self is that we misunderstand self, meaning we misunderstand what it means to be a human being, which is what we are. That's what the, the, basic, human, the basic Buddhist teaching is. Guess what? We're human beings and we're nothing else. We, because we misunderstand self, the Buddha's words are, we become anything other than self. And again, Those who are prone to mystical thinking take that to mean we're supposed to establish ourselves in something other than self. What the Buddha is saying is because we misunderstand self, we create a caricature of ourselves, a fabricated self. And it is that fabricated self that suffers. It is a fabricated self that comes down with mental distress and physical distress that it won't accept. And one thing just to touch on with us, mental distress is is an aspect of living a human life. It's difficult. The Buddha starts out with saying, Dukkha occurs. As a consequence of having a human life, there are going to be difficulties. He's immediately putting us into the soup so we can taste it. This is human life. It's not to be escaped from. If you try to escape any aspect of it, including the unpleasant aspects of life, you're discounting your entire life. It can't be done. The Jaravaga, um, and we, we, we teach this, in fact, there's a How long? I think it's 36 class uh, instructor study on true vipassana, insight into this. Uh, This is a a much shorter version of that. The Buddha's words The world is always ablaze with the fires of passion, yet fools laugh with delight. And we all do that. We do it all the time. And uh, that's really. I was going to reference somebody, and I'm not. Um, We've all known people that. that uh, fiddle while Rome is burning. We, we create, and there's almost, I think we've all had nervous laughter because we're, we're afraid to face what's going on here. There's such a good example that I won't mention it, but those of you are probably making some of the, the connection to that. Fools laugh. There's another sutra that we did, the Vaga, I think it was Matt taught it, um, that fools grieve. It's such an important statement. When we're we're complaining about, when we're grieving about our life or who we are in our life, we're being foolish. Why? Because it's simply what's occurring, and we cannot change anything unless we accept first what's occurring. The Buddha taught radical acceptance through insight in this way. Your mind is shrouded in darkness. The pleading of this human being from 2,600 years ago. The mind is shrouded in darkness. Will you not see? The body is a painted image, a mass of injury and disease always craving. Understand all this is impermanent. The Buddha first describes a human condition that is pretty grim, isn't it? But he doesn't leave us there. In the next sentence, he says, it changes. Take a breath. When spent, the body is sick and fragile. Upon death, this, this fool, I'm sorry, this foul heap breaks up as death is the end of life. Why was he saying that? It's something obvious because even during the Buddha's time, people people practice speculative self-establishment in non-physical realms, meaning this life is unimportant because I can get to whatever my heaven might be in another life. The Buddha said, that's a foolish way of looking at your life because you just lost your own. This is your human life. It's going to end. It might end in the next breath. Enjoy it now. Make it meaningful right now because this is what we get. And this is not to say that there maybe there is something else for human beings beyond this human life. Maybe. But there's no way we can know it. And it's a waste of time, and it's a waste of my life in this moment, to speculate about it. To, to do something now, to plan for something that I don't even know is going to happen. In fact, I can say for sure it's not going to happen to me. Because how could it? If it does, it's going to happen to some kind of me, that I'm not even aware of now. It doesn't even make any sense. So, if, if for me to continue to establish that, it's just rooted in the need for escaping this life for a, for a different one, for a fabricated one. And the Buddha describes that only fools delight in the bleached bones, settled here and there. Meaning, look at, look at with all the death out in the world. Why are you so enamored with this with this one life? Make the most of it. The body is is a frame of bones plastered with flesh and blood, hiding decay, death, pride, and greed. He takes mental constructs and ties them in, or groups them in, with physical disease. What did Jesus talk about, Dustin? The body is a frame of bones plastered with flesh and blood, hiding decay, death, pride, and greed. Pride and greed are the same as death. It's a living death. There is nothing personal regarding any of that's my commentary. Sorry. <clears throat> the finest chariots wear out, as does this body. My Dhamma is timeless, and the wise make it known to others. The fool grows old in bulk. The, the fool grows old in bulk alone, while continued ignorance obscures wisdom. Now the Buddha's words, look at the personal, the personal nature of this. I too wandered in vain not knowing the builder of my house. Meaning his his house is his own individual life. This is indeed suffering from the Buddha's own experience. Not knowing who the builder of our house is is indeed suffering. Not knowing that I'm doing this to myself. Any form of distress that I have it's because it's self-inflicted and it always is. There's great power in that though because it's self-inflicted I can stop doing it. I can stop cause being the cause of my distress. Ignorance. I could use the. I can say it this way: ignorance is the house builder. The words are ignorance, the house builder. You are now seen. That's understanding for a noble truth. Understanding our own ignorance. Understanding. The cause of all of my distress and literally the distress and the conflict and chaos in the world. Ignorance, the house builder, you are now seen. Ignorance will no longer build my house. So again, the, the Buddha paints a rather dim picture. And then he gives us the reality of understanding. Your rafters are broken, your ridgepole destroyed. My mind is free of ignorance. Craving has ended. Ignoring the heartwood, the heartwood is always the eightfold path. Excuse me. Ignoring the heartwood of my dhamma, there is nothing of value gained. Fools languish in ignorance like the old cranes on an empty pond. I love that that <coughs> bit of visual. Those who waste their lives clinging to ignorance gain nothing of value. No matter what. We can get we can get the biggest hut with the most coconuts. It won't matter if we're rooted in ignorance. Like worn out arrows, they can only sigh over the past. I thought that was the end of the sutra. So let's not be like worn out arrows and sigh over the past. And how do we do that? How do we not regret the past? By being present for the. I'm sorry?
1: Accept
0: it. Accept it. And another word for that is being present. Because the only way we can accept. Brilliant. Thank you. The only way that I can accept what's going on is to be present for it. I can't accept the past if I'm stuck in the past. And I certainly can't accept something that's never happened, meaning the future. So why try to manipulate the past or create something that neither one of those are are real? The only reality that human beings are capable of is to be present for life as life unfolds. That takes what Dustin just said, radical acceptance. It means taking an impersonal, View of each and every moment. As the Bahia, Bahia Sutta, as the Buddha taught Bahia, there is no you here, there, or anywhere in between. Meaning there's no, there's no more establishment of a fabricated self in my mind in all the situations my mind can conjure up, here, there, or anywhere else. It's a direct line teaching the purity of a human mind, the health of a human mind by letting go of eye making. Letting go of I making through understanding the three marks of existence. So that's my talk for today. Uh, let's go around the, the uh, online, the virtual room first. And uh, Brian, we'll start with you. How are you, Brian?
1: Good, John. How are you today?
0: I'm good. Thanks for asking.
1: Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this one specifically around the chariot. My, my chariot's breaking down right now, but... Um, I now know who built the chariot yep. and there's, there's no longer any attachment to that chariot. And it just, um, seeing through that, right. It just, it just makes getting through the difficulties. It's not, it's not fun, but it's not, it's not awful. Right. And yeah. it, just, it just makes life uh, manageable in that way. So, um, this one hit home. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Uh <clears throat> Could, could you come on screen? Because I can't really tell who, who you are if I can't see your face. And I understand if you don't want to, it's okay. We'll work it out. Uh, Mary, since you just popped up. So nice to see your face.
2: Hi, John. Hello, everybody. Um, you know, it just reminds you, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. Um, so very beautiful uh, presentation. Um, so thank you, John.
0: Thank you, Mary. Alex, good morning. Good morning.
1: Hi right, guys, um, yeah, I'm gonna take a noble silence. It, uh, enjoyed the uh, text, that's all I've got.
0: I'm glad you joined us today, Alex. Good morning, Matteo. Hi, everybody. Uh,
1: yeah, I like a lot the, the metaphor with the builder, so it makes a lot of secrets on the series. And so, uh, as usual, we need to be aware of, the, of our ignorance. And they ignore them, they so the ignorance that surrounds us—that I think that the lesson that I get from this class to acknowledge that and and work on it, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that and it is just that—that's the practice: is recognizing and abandoning our ignorance. Excuse me for a moment. Uh, I have a question. Please. Uh, when you talk like the, the the big introduction today about the the precepts, and I always struggle with the fifth precept when you say about intoxicants, mm-hmm. uh, not. Not because not I struggle because I get
1: intoxicated because like I I realize talking about ignorance that my my view is is really extreme so I'm 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 thinking of an intoxicant and so I don't drink alcohol and I don't take drugs but I go like further I think intoxicant for me means for example so sort of caffeine yeah so everything that clouds
0: my mind you know or sugar all this stuff even if it's a change but so. I wonder if, if my view is right, or what do you think about it? Yeah. Yes, I, I think your, your view is, is absolutely right, and thank you for bringing it up. Any, anything that we do, and it could even be an idea that we become intoxicated with, right? is an intoxicant, including, you know, I'm the, I'm the world's greatest meditation teacher, is a form of intoxication, isn't it? Especially when I'm clinging to it. And if you really look at each of these precepts, they're all kind of the same thing they're all pointing to a fabricated view of who i am that results in certain behaviors that are obvious so the precepts are a very um, profound and nuanced teaching on basic human behavior they that, that happens to come out in these five very specific ways you know so very insightful question and comment thank you mateo John, yeah. is wrong view toxic sure it is yeah i mean that you could thank you for pointing it out uh the the most intoxicating of all uh, things is wrong view, because that's what we try to maintain. And the Buddha's counter to that? Right view. Now don't get caught up on, uh, I shouldn't be drinking, I shouldn't have caffeine. Wrong view, so if it's impeding, hindering your practice, you should abandon it. Yep. Again, it's brilliant, David. Did everybody hear what David said? Uh, having a cup of coffee in the morning is is not necessarily anti-dhamma or a bad thing uh, it's okay to take our comforts, it's when we insist that I have my comforts or have more of them or that I hoard them or anything else, when I personalize them, now we're in trouble but simply enjoying a a cup of coffee or a glass of water is kind of the same thing what am I using it for? if I'm using it because I'm, I'm mentally or physically spent, I need coffee to get through my day, you need to look at that and abandoned because no human being who's living an authentic life needs those kind of intoxicants. But again, you bring up such an important point. It's not just not just <clears throat> taking a drink or an illegal drug; it can be anything that we use to intoxicate ourselves. Ultimately, it's a, it's rooted in a wrong view of who we are in relation to the world. We have become anything other than self through our <clears throat> intoxicant, the intoxicant that we use. So, thank you, uh, Steve. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, thank you, John. I'm good. How about you? Thank you for asking. I'm doing good. Uh, it's very amazing teaching, but I
1: have a question about uh, precepts. Please. Uh, what about uh, eating animals?
0: It's broke. <laughs> uh, eating eating animal. eating animals? Yeah. Yes. What about it? It's
1: kind of yes. Uh, it's kind of like to precept or
0: not necessarily? No. I mean, there there is there are suttas, um, where, where uh, the, the monks, i was going to say monks and nuns, but I don't remember anything related to a nun, interesting, uh, where monks would go out on their alms rounds and they'd come back to the Buddha, all proud, proud and full of themselves, saying, so-and-so offered me a, a, a piece of lamb, or a piece of goat probably back then, and I wouldn't take it because I'm not about killing animals. And the Buddha verbally beat the hell out of him. Because how can you treat someone who is giving up their last morsel of food to feed you with the hope of getting a little dhamma back? That was the exchange for their food, for their sustenance. How can you do that? And think about that. Even today, it, it's a noble thing to say, well, we shouldn't be killing any animals. But if you just had a little, a little thoughtfulness about that, you realize that entire populations of this planet would vanish if they weren't somehow allowed to human eat animals. Human
3: populations. Pardon? Human, human populations. Human
0: populations, <laughs> yes. So it, 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 you cannot make blanket statements about anything because that it, it, it obviates impermanence. We also should be thoughtful. It's, it's um, Years ago, I grew up with, with hunters, even though my father really wasn't much of one, but he, he did because his friends. And I, the first time they took me out on a, on a deer hunt was in, it happened to me in the backyard. They taught me how to use a bow and how difficult it was going to be. You know, you're never going to get one, but if you do, take a shot. And as soon as I walked out the back door, there's a deer 50 feet from me. And I put, took my bow up, and I'm going, to, I'm going to kill this poor deer. And the thought that I had was, what the hell am I doing? I got 20 pounds of hamburger inside. I was 12 years old or something. <clears throat> I knew I didn't need to kill that deer for food, and I didn't. And the, my father's friends, you know, they, they ragged me for the rest of my life because I was afraid to do it. I wasn't. And I'm not saying I'm some moral um, benchmark, it was a personal choice in that matter. But in the next breath, this this guy's name was Mike, he went out into the woods and chased a deer and eventually he got it. It was right for him to do and he took that deer and he brought it home and he chopped it up and his whole family lived on that. So am I in a moral position to say he was wrong and I was right? No. I was right because it was what I needed to do for myself. So again, it could, maybe a long-winded answer, Slav, Steve, Slob, Steve. Um, it's a personal choice. If I personally think that it is aberrant for me to, um, uh, let me say it this way, I still eat meat, and I found after many years as a vegan that I need some animal protein just to, just to be healthy, and many people find that out. Some, not everybody, but veganism and vegetarianism works much better when you're younger, it seems, at least from my own experience. But I'm also cautious. I would, I would never go out and kill an animal for my food because I don't have to. To me, that would be a waste of the food that's already on the shelves for me. But if I, if I decided that I wanted to take up that type of livelihood, I saw this show about people living in Alaska off the grid, I think it was Alaska someplace, and I thought, well, that's, that's a really peaceful way to live. And they have to go kill a goat or, or an elk or something every now and then or a moose to live and they're living more peacefully than anybody else on the planet, and twice a year they go kill something. So, yeah, you know, we, we cannot make these blanket statements and just assume that because killing is bad that all killing is bad. When it's a, inappropriate for me to not kill, I don't. But I guess you could say by me going to, going to buy a couple chicken breasts in the supermarket, is that killing? I don't know, but it, I don't see it as such. If other people want to judge it, okay, but that's conflict in their mind. So, did I answer your question, Steve? <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you very much. So basically, uh, short line, it's uh, up to person you have to make a decision for You're that, uh, no way. judging for us? It, rest of or... to It's up to people and it's up to situations too. <laughs> it really, I mean, it literally is. Again, just referring to people in, I mean, there's people that live in the jungle that can't eat anything but snakes or whatever, you know. It, it, it's just a ridiculous statement. I would say, you know, in, in French town, New Jersey, <clears throat> I can make that mindful choice whether I need to go hunt for my food today or or go buy a chicken breast or grow grow vegetables. I mean, you know, again, like I said, I was a ideological vegetarian vegan for many years and I was superior to every other person that ate a hamburger all those years. I wasn't a peaceful vegetarian by any means, because I was and you better you better be one too. Can I say
3: something? Please. So the precepts are designed to orient us to how to reduce our own suffering. Yes. So notice that when killing something, you suffer. Um, you know if it's too wrong intention. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And so so re- so you're it's it's uh again, I don't want to say up for interpretation, help me out here, John, but it is kind of still requiring the middle way when you're oh yeah looking at the precepts.
0: And but beautiful. The Eightfold Path provides that middle way because it, it avoids the extreme view that I could easily fall into because of people I'm hanging around with in modern ideologies, that you can never kill an animal. It's completely a thoughtless view, isn't it? Because you're not considering everything.
3: I also and, feel like if you are dealing with somebody who's a soldier, for example. Exactly. is not you know, Or a police officer. You know, yep. they're, the, It's not like they're on the outside now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 again, a everybody one. can say that, that war is awful and we should never have wars. That's ridiculous. It really is. Why? Because it's we happening. have wars. Yeah. It's simply yeah. about intention. I don't mm. go out of my way to stomp on a lantern bug, mm. but if I stamp I accidentally step on one. I don't judge myself. Y- yeah, again, that's right. You stay in the present moment, and then you take your next breath. Yeah. It's simply about intention. And I think sometimes we can get into the extremes of these precepts and start, what if? What about that?
1: And yeah. It's all about does it cause suffering and if it does, abandon it.
0: Yeah, it, it, the, the extreme view is that it, it's uh, when it's unnecessary, inappropriate to kill, we shouldn't kill. <clears throat> and there's times when it is, or for certain individuals it is. I, I, being in, that, in an army, a fighting army, is a good example. We live in a violent world that still requires armies. It, it just does. The same was true during the Buddhist time and he never, at least I've never come across it, and I've read most of the suttas, he never, ever told people not to go to war. When leaders, and leaders always came to Siddhartha because of his reputation, and they, they wanted his counsel. They are saying, there's a war coming up. I have, to go, I have to go fight Clinton, which is the next town over. I have to go fight them because of this and that, or because of my own need for dominance. What should I do? And the Buddha never, ever said, well, you can't do that because killing is wrong. He said, when you go into war and you win that war, you treat everyone with gentleness and kindness. Because he knew that for him to say no, 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 it was ridiculous. It was an aspect of wrong speech because it wasn't possible. So he established that mindfulness within the the victor of the war. And we're still in that same place. You heard me say, most people have heard me. The the situation in the world today is almost identical to what the Buddha had to deal with. There was just as much violence because there was just as much much ignorance. And we can't hope any of this away. One of the reasons why, I mean, in my lifetime, I should think about it, there's probably been something like over 800 or 900 declared wars. I mean, forget about the ones that are undeclared. And that's in 66 years. To think that we're beyond that as a species is ridiculous. Krishna <clears throat> Krishnamurti used to say, look at the life you're living. Look at the life we're living as human beings. We're not violent people here, are we? I would bet, I mean, I could be wrong, but I bet none of us actually killed another human being. But I bet each and every one of us has been guilty of character assassination at some point in our life. It's just it's just the truth. So that violence is when it is within each and every one of us, whether we act on it. But it's also the um unconscious harboring of that type of violence that leads to self-loathing or grows out of self-loathing grows out of anatta, not, not understanding who we are okay that's a, that's it's a pretty important subject and it, it led to a lot but so thank you steve um uh, cliff how are you this morning wonderful
1: thanks for asking um uh, What I found interesting about about this, Uh, the Buddha really beats up on the body on these things, you know, about how putrid and disgusting and awful and rotting and diseased it is. Yeah. And at first, I would wonder, you know, why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. Particularly that there's so many people these days that are ashamed of their bodies, particularly teenagers that hate their bodies, uh, that are anorexic, that are fat shaming, whatever it is. So why is he going through all of this? And uh, in looking into it, also why is he saying this when back at the time his pals where we went were aesthetics and they were starving themselves yep. <laughs> and, and doing everything to destroy their bodies. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that when you put it in historic perspective of who he was actually talking to, there were two groups. There were the aesthetics, yep. which thought that if they Destroyed their bodies, the soul, which was immaterial, would be their grip, would be released, and they could fall in that life. But there was another group that was just as as strong a belief, which was a hedonic belief that the soul was material, and by pleasing the body and worshiping the body and feeding the body with pleasures of all sorts in overindulgence, you would strengthen their soul. So he was speaking to those people that yeah. were off on the other side that were doing nothing but just thinking about, about hedonic pleasure and ruining their, destroying their lives and their bodies in the process. So it's interesting to see, you know, how wise he was and who he was speaking to in, in that particular time. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, of course, you know, this the the line with the um, the house builder is a classic line that's been used many times by the Buddha. Yeah. And uh, it is. It's, it's seeing this, Process of how the ego jumps in there and constantly builds that, and what needs to be done to destroy it. Yeah, uh, and, and that's you know that's it's it's not building a house, it's building a prison. Yeah. So it's it's uh, interesting to see its a great great piece. There.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that it's the prison of two ideas. It's being locked in those two extremes. And, the, and you're right. The Buddha was te- teaching, or uh, referencing those groups, but also telling the Sangha that, yes, you're like these extreme groups because you harbor the same views, even though they're not quite as extreme. It's still just as damaging. It's just the the expression of extreme views is the obviousness of our own more subtle, nuanced um, aspects of ignorance. And again, the Buddha's teaching in that way and his teaching methods are just brilliant. Thank you, Cliff. Uh, Tom, how are you? Hi
1: John. Um, yeah, thanks for um, for teaching. Um, yeah, the, the, the topic of sort of veg- vegetarianism and all of that is interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if I want to, I think we've talked about it enough. I'm just going to reflect on it a little bit more. Um, and then I may come come with questions. Um, oh. But I think for now, um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep noble silence. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tom. Uh, Jeff, good to see you here. Nice to make Thank your acquaintance.
1: You. Nice to meet you to all too. Um, y-
0: you know, I, I, it, there's, there's wisdom in every line and word here, but I, I find myself tripping on the
1: on the use of the word fools. I, It somehow feels as though it's... Condescending labeling versus what? maybe
0: using the word unwise, or I don't know if there's enough of a well, distinction there. Not, not Could to just, cut you off, but that's that—that that is what fools mean. It just means unwise. If you Look up in any dictionary; that's the word is unwise. So the reason why I use it and use it rather often is that it. We talk about developing wisdom, and so the direct opposite opposite of that is the, the fool. And so it makes the point, but we also have to understand what the word means. It, it has a charge only because we, we put a charge on it. It just means yeah. unwise. Or, it could, All right. un, or uninformed, too. Yeah, right. I don't
1: know. I, just, it's, I, I guess that it, it is a translation
0: issue. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I could have... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's my word that I use, and I, I remember, I, I thought about this carefully. Uh, and I use the word because it makes the point. And not not as evidenced by, by your reaction, but but that is the point. We should recognize it as and that doesn't I'm not saying and the Buddha's not saying that if that everybody's a fool in the world, as Dhamma practitioners, if we decide we're going to be a Dhamma practitioner, I would be foolish to deny part of the Dhamma, wouldn't I? That that's an act an act of of, of uh, an unwise act. And it's easily classified and, um, I would say, highlighted by using the word fool. But I, again, it's it come up. We had a, um, a class discussion on the use of that word. And, uh, honestly, I've had people that have left the Sangha because of using that word. And, really? Yeah. But, but, just, but wow. again, it's because of taking it personally. It's just, it, there, there's no word in the human language that is personal. They're just words. And some of them are, are better used than others. I, I'm just for a second. Uh, Becky, you had something you want to say? No,
2: I just I was just amazed that you said someone left the sangha because you used the word fool. Oh, they, yeah. Uh, just reacting to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, Jeff. Did you have anything else you would like to say? No, no. That, that's all this morning. Thank you very right. much. Thank you for joining us, David. Good morning, John. I'll take noble
3: sign
0: Glad you're here. Hello, Jen. Yeah, I
3: feel like I said enough. Thank you, John. I'm yeah, sure. really enjoying this
0: class. Yeah, me too. <clears> thank <throat> you, Sangamam.
3: Sangamam, <laughs> thank you, John.
2: Yes, I, I'm. I'm really enjoying the class too. But I really enjoy every class.
0: <laughs> Just, yeah, me too.
2: So much learning going on every time. Um, okay, ignorance, the house builder. You are now seeing. Yeah. If you. If you do something that others might not view as wrong, or that others might view as wrong, but no dukkha arises in you, uh, you are aware of what your intention is, and you have no stress over that particular action. Then you're in right view. Yep. And just uh, you're, use, you're in,
0: I would even use, say you're in absolute right view.
2: And just to use the example, David used the example of stepping on a lantern fly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that he wouldn't purposely step on a lantern fly, but if he happened to step on one, he wouldn't beat himself up. Yeah. But if you are a gardener and a scientist and you understand that lantern flies are not in danger of extinction but they are ruining your crops, then you might kill the lantern flies with no with no dukkha at all. Yeah. And you are in right view. Yes. When that happens.
0: Yep. And if I happen to love lantern flies, which I do by the way. <laughs> That wouldn't They're beautiful. That, that, <laughs> and, and I am mindful of who I am, it wouldn't bother me at all that, that you're killing lantern flies mm. because that's what you're doing. Yeah. It's none of my business. That's okay. all in Why do I And we thin- can
3: still be friends. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I, absolutely. And maybe then I could understand a little bit about why you feel it so neat, why you feel you have to go kill all those poor bugs. Mm-hmm. Now I can understand it because I'm able to stay present with you. And yes, yes, I can understand why you want to do it, you know, so your roses grow.
2: So I get grapes. Yeah, so nice. you, yes.
0: And you can make some nice wine. I mean, right. Right. Exactly.
2: Uh, and,
0: but it, what the point is that it allows us to communicate right. rather than me take that view that I love... what, what do we, fly, Lantern
3: flies. Lan- I love lantern
0: flies, <laughs> so you have to too?
3: Right.
2: Or, or
0: I I love only Democrats, so you... I mean, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, mm-hmm. look at where we're yeah. taking it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, that, that loving or not loving lanternflies is the common human problem. Especially when I insist that you have to be like me. And
2: especially if you can communicate that to me without making, without, or if I can listen to you communicate that to me without feeling judged by you.
0: Yeah, I might, I might say things like,
2: <laughs> and I, that feeling of being judged by you, like, yes, is coming from me. I mean, yes. it might you're blaming from you me for your what you're much, feeling. Yeah. Yes, yep. as much as it's coming, as it might be coming from you. I mean, you might be judging me, but well, typically, both people are judging each judged, other, aren't they? Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, there, it, it remind me of that. Years ago, I had a friend of mine. His name was Robert Wolf. He wrote this great book called "What It Is to Be Human." Uh, everybody should read it. I think it's still available. He was a um, an amateur, but a worldwide um, uh, anthropologist. He was actually a chemical engineer that just got interested in it later in his life. He was uh, he was in his mid-70s, and I was 40. And I met him, and he had this little house in Volcano Hawaii, which is just outside of Volcanoes National Park on the Big Island. Um, and it was just kind of coincidence that I met him, and we became really good friends. But this guy was... Um, he was fascinated with a certain moss that grew on Hawaii. I don't think it grew anywhere else. Called milliloli, and it was these incredibly, infinitely small little plants that that clumped together and made something. But on their own, you couldn't even see them. And he would he would talk to these little plants, these millilolies. He wouldn't walk on them, and they were all over his lawn. And it was it was just a remarkable. I can still see what I can still experience what it was like to see him in relation to his mylilology. Mm-hmm. And from the outside, it was like, this guy's insane. He was the mm-hmm. most brilliant person I ever met. <laughs> but he was just so aware of these tiny little organisms that made these beautiful lush carpet all over mm-hmm. his room. And, and initially, I was thinking, what the, what the hell is this guy doing? And then I understood. And he taught me something about, just because I don't understand that, doesn't mean that there's, that the, there's no value in understanding it. Right. And that taught me so much about and one of the reasons why I respected this man so much. And I still go read his book, "What It Is to Be Human." It's, it's a great book. So. Um, I, and Jeff, I think I might have cut you off. Were you Were you finished? Yeah, yeah, yes, John. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> uh, Jen, Becky, yeah,
3: Adam, Adam.
0: Adam. <laughs> Noble silence from you, John. Thank you very much. Glad you're here. Hello, Dustin. Hi. Um,
1: I guess what I've taken away from this is that um. I guess this house that I've built is it's built from two things is how and why. Like how do I change this and why did this happen to me? Am I intoxin is negative thinking. So if I go to someone like a therapist and I get into those things about how do I change this and why did this happen to me? Am I just increasing that fabrication that I've created this house? Like do I...
0: Yeah, well, again, I don't want this to sound like I'm saying don't go to a therapist, because I think, there, I think many... I mean, there's good and bad therapists, just like there are you know, good and bad meditation teachers. Um, a good one can only be helpful. Um, but you also have to understand what, what is the focus of therapy and what is the focus of the Dhamma. It's mm. two different things. The Dhamma is not therapy, although it can seem like that at times. Um, the... The why is something that in the Dhamma we learn never to ask. And years ago, I had a friend who I keep telling these stories. We're going to be here till 12 today. Um, he, was, he was a, a, a Jesuit brother. Very, Jesuits are very severe and, and strict about their practice, and he, but he was a very gentle man. Uh, this is years ago. I was in my uh, mid to early 20s. And he, he was housed in a monastery up in New, New Jersey. And he used to drive up there on Friday nights. And we'd have these great discussions about God and all this. Um, and he was a guy, Brother Ken, I always cry when I think about him, he, he had, I mean, I'm not sure if they call it this anymore, i pe- uh, not politically correct, but he had nine nervous breakdowns in his life. And he used to say, what's wrong with losing your mind? Just get another one.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and he was the most balanced person I ever met in my life. But he'd also say, John, I learned one thing, because I would always ask why. Why, Ken, why this? And he said, John, never ask why. He says, because you're never going to learn anything. I thought, why could that be? But he understood that my why wasn't really a question why. It was, why is this happening? Yeah. And, and, that, and the distraction was just that. It was away from what is happening, trying to explain what is happening. Well, it's happening. You can't see it. Look at the life we're living. Individually, look at the life, look at the life inside my mind. And the Buddha's the, the Dhamma gives me jhana meditation so I can remain concentrated and look at it. I can actually look at the life I'm living.
1: Which has been beneficial to me to be able to just right. look at it instead of, why am I feeling like right. this? Yes. Or, why am I reacting like this? That's been my whole life. Yeah, and caught up in that why so, is I don't want this. Yes. Yes. yes.
3: And, but the, also, there's a coping, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a cognitive uh Strategy in there too. Of yes, you you're looking for if you know if I can just figure out why, then I can find an answer, and the answer will make me feel better. Yeah, right. It'll so fix me. what you're yeah. looking for is a sensation. Yeah, you're you're grasping after a sensation with this thought process. of, I gotta <clears> find <throat> the answer, and then the answer will make me feel better. So you don't need that answer. Yeah. You
0: don't need it. Yeah, you don't it's, need it's, it. It's a fabric. No matter what it is, it's a fabrication. That
3: sensation, you don't need that answer for the sensation of release. You don't need it. That's yeah. what we're trying to tell you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's, That's what it. I understand now. Yeah, I didn't before because I was just—it's a mental habit. Yeah, right. but accident. also, it's even finding... asking why about everything about how does this work, how does yeah. science work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just about me and myself and my mind, it's just the way I look at the world.
3: But at the same time, in the middle way, and I'm sorry, I'm, no, no, no. but there is a middle way in there too of being gentle with yourself if you recognize that you're trying to find an answer to make yourself feel better. It, it might just be that you have to find that answer to make yourself feel better, but just recognize that that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're looking for feeling better. <clears throat> really, that answer isn't.
1: No, it'll never be there.
3: But, you know, sometimes, I, you know, if I'm feeling weird pain in my side and I need, need to go to the doctor so the doctor can yeah, be like, but... your pain, you know, you're okay because I'm very attached to form. <whistles> You know, then I have to do that. You know, so that's where the middle well, is. Well,
0: not necessarily, in. though. We, we, you
3: don't we, have to. I, I'm just saying yeah. I, that's my experience of just...
0: If we find ourselves sick, we should go to a doctor. Yeah, we should. That's not I making I mean, it could no. be. You know, I'm I, I, I <clears> tell another story about myself. Every situation, <laughs> every human situation can be either rooted in mindfulness or ignorance. Yeah, yeah. And nobody can, not most, well, if the Buddha could, maybe I can occasionally, uh, but most people keep, don't know the difference, and they can't see the difference. It's just life unfolding. So again, it's up to us individuals. Are we going to look at the life we're living, or are we going to question in a negative way, a blameful way? Why am I so screwed up? Who's to blame, or where did I go wrong? Well, well, it's all a happen? fabrication. <laughs> yeah. It's all a fabrication. Even if you could pinpoint to a time in the past when something happened to you, that is not what's occurring now. Yeah, we are the culmination of everything that ever happened. But what's happening right now is happening in, in, uh, in the framework of my mindfulness of the moment. And if my my mindfulness in the moment can be framed by an eightfold path by reality, then this moment is stress free. The whole point of the dhamma. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am.
1: I can it, just see how ignorance is a a waste of time. You it know, is. When you're ignorant. You're wasting a lot of time. Of not being present by trying to figure out mm-hmm. or fix mm-hmm. things or you know manipulate life uh, instead yes. of just being present with life. And energy, an energy. Yeah, yeah. A it, lot of wasted energy. It, it,
0: it does, and you're in a really a few class. I mean, you show sure how brilliant the teacher am because in a few <laughs> classes you, <laughs> you develop <laughs> the <this is laughs> dharma. Uh, you, you really develop great insight. <clears throat> that this is just what we're doing, and it's just as practical. It's just a it's. I remember when I first understood this and my question still was, I was still questioning whether it was actually a human belief. I didn't believe there was. But my next thought was, you know, this is just a better way to live in the world, whether it's all made up or not. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: But I mean, I believe it is.
0: I believe there's some foundation in what a human being actually taught. But so what if it isn't? It works. It
1: just makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't need the ultimate provenance. It's not available. It, it just works. That's enough, that's enough provenance for me. And I think it's for you, too, now. You're, yeah. And that's why the Buddha kept saying over and over again, Seco, come and see for yourself. Don't go by my words. Because once you experience this, you know, there's no turning back, I think, even though I've seen people. Thank you so much. Nina, good to see you. Thank you. As best as I can.
2: <laughs> um, I don't have anything to add today.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining Crystal, I'm so glad you, you made it up here and you joined our Sangha. Uh, and nobody ever has to talk. If you'd like to share a little bit, I'd love to hear it, we'd love to hear it. But um, I don't really have much to say, but I just, you know, the,
2: that we are causing our own suffering, you know, it, I forget it, so it's helpful to
0: hear it. Yeah, oh, we all forget it. And, it, and, it, mm-hmm. the, uh, and the, the suffering that we create for ourselves is always a reaction to what's occurring in the world and what's occurring in the world has to happen how do i know it has to happen because it's what's happening if things can't be any different than they are because that's what's happening that doesn't mean that things won't change it's like the basic buddhist buddhist teaching is everything will change so i don't have to lose my mind over all i have to do is take a breath and it will change so, and again if, if you have any more questions crystal please stay after and we'll uh, we'll talk to you or at least get you going in a certain direction so does anybody else have any questions or comments and uh, I'm sorry for the class going on a little bit long I try to finish them within an hour and a half but uh this was really a, a great class and uh, I wanted to get in the, the our new purpose statement and just go over our sangha guidelines again I think that was important but we'll finish with meta as we always do So again, uh, take a moment to be mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath uh, unite your mind and your body. Excuse me. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. uh, The Buddha's words. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud of demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. <clears throat> Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.